Welcome to the Hope City Drip. This is a podcast of Hope City Church here in Clinton, Iowa, where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Clinton. And we know that life can be weird, especially this time of year. So whether you're a stay-at-home mom and you have littles running around, or you're a shift worker and you have long and weird hours and commutes, this podcast is for you. It's for you to digest the mission and the vision of Hope City Church. That's why we call it a vision drip. So you can do whatever you want with this thing. Take advantage of the technology that you have. Rewind it. Accelerate the speed. Get through the. If you want to skip over all of this, <laughs> then you can do that. We just hope that this serves to help you live for the glory of Jesus and the joy of your local community. Uh, my name is Nick Powell. I'm pastor at Hope City Church here in Clinton. And on this week's episode, I'm joined by uh, Ben Parker, and we're going to talk about an exciting subject called suffering. <laughs> And one of the reasons why I want to talk about suffering is um, in my sort of day-to-day conversations with folks, whether that's as a pastor or just as a human, um, I'm talking with people and it seems like suffering is uh, the theme of, of like life right now, right? Yeah. And uh, at least on the internet, right? You go up and see the memes or you hear people talk about like 2020 is like a tagline. Like, man, 2020 was a dumpster fire of a year. And and with New Year's right around the corner, people are like ready to roll over into 2021. And the tone suggests that like suffering characterized 2020 and 2021 is going to be like bliss. And we're going to make a New Year's resolution that suffering is not going to be part of 2021. That the pandemic is not going to survive the New Year. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know. What happens if 2021 is also full of suffering? Like that's a question that's real. Like we got to ask ourselves and how does that, um, in, like how does the biblical worldview, like how does following Jesus make sense of that? If suffering follows us into 2021 and even beyond maybe, how do we then make sense of the spiritual life of following Jesus um, in a world full of brokenness? So that's kind of what I want to talk about with Ben. Um, but before we jump into the conversation, I want to read a little bit of First Peter. First um, Peter is just becoming more and more relevant as a book of the Bible um, to our modern world here in America. And one of the reasons for that is because First Peter, one of the big themes of it is uh, Peter's writing to uh, a bunch of different churches in modern-day Turkey, and he calls them the dispersion. And they are exiles, is what he says. They are, you know, Christians who are not in their homeland, and they're in a hostile, uh, inhospitable culture. Like, they're being persecuted. They're being um, treated harshly. They're just, at the very least, they don't feel at home uh, where they're at. And so uh, Peter tries to help encourage the church um, by showing them their hope in Jesus in the midst of suffering. So I'm going to read the first couple paragraphs here, starting with verse three, uh, and then hopefully this helps us make sense of some suffering in the context of a biblical understanding of hope. So it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith 
for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In verse 10 says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So there's a lot there, but essentially I just want to like narrow in the focus that Peter, at the very least, is addressing um, a people who are having a hard time and he's trying to encourage them in the hope of Jesus. So, Ben, I'm curious. Why are you so concerned as a Christian uh, with this like topic of suffering? Like, Why do you care about this? Um, I think it's just so relevant right now, as you said. I mean, in so many different aspects, as everyone knows, you know, things that have happened this year have hit more people than probably what we've all experienced in our lifetime, especially in our young lifetime, to have something so widespread, um, you know, other than just normal disease and things. So a lot of people are affected and I'm one of them. And, you know, the last couple months have been very hard for me. So it's really just personal to be able to learn about this more and learn about our faith in the process and just see where, where it all lines up, if it means anything or if it's all just for nothing and kind of what, what to do in it. So, if you don't mind sharing, get a little personal. Like, what are some things? Why are you laughing at me like that? <laughs> what 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 are some things that you've experienced that? Because I think a lot of people are in uh will resonate with how you uh, are having a hard time. Like, because we all have a hard time with certain things at certain times of our life. We all experience to some degree suffering in our own. Mm-hmm. In our, you know, in our own personal experience. So how personally have you been affected by whether it's the pandemic or whatever? So like everything that I've valued, and I'm going to tread lightly with that, but... Don't tread on me. <laughs> oh, don't you dare. Um, a lot of the things that I like now learned that were my identity were stripped away. So I um, kind of valued my job in a sense, and that was stripped away. I was laid off. Um, you know, I was in the middle of a couple moves. I was living in Austin uh, for the last year and a half and I moved home and eventually was trying to get to Denver. And then with losing my job, that put a whole halt on that. So I had like no control over anything of what to do. Um, some sickness, uh, not the, not the COVID, not the disease, but, um, not the COVID, COVID. (laughs) um, some other, some other illnesses, health things, uh, affected my family in the middle of that process. Um, and just like a lot of rushing around and then, um, you know, a lot of friendships, uh, just with the transitions were lost or were, you know, 
different identified differently just with proximity um you know relationships ended so a lot of what i valued really was stripped away Mm -hmm. and i'm now just left in this weird place that i've never really been in i've lost things before and i've gone through things but it's always i've always had something to fall back on so now it's just emptiness yeah and and that's and that suffering is, is real and it's just something i've been curious to learn more about and learn about my faith in that process yeah one of the things that i find interesting about first peter is that the context of who he's writing to like his audience um seems to have some similarities with us um in terms of like there's a sense of homelessness and a sense of exile uh that like these people that he's writing to these christians scattered all abroad and i feel like the pandemic has created a sense of wandering sort of homelessness it's disrupted a lot of things um you know like i was we were in des moines um before we moved back to clinton to plant the church and when we sold our house back in uh what was it june june july area time we it was like in the midst of the pandemic just heating up and there was this the market's crazy Mm -hmm. like it was houses were flying off the market and and because there was so many people's lives in flux with their jobs were changing some of them were moving online or remote so people could live wherever they wanted some people were you know like older folks were maybe moving in with their kids if they had a big enough house like there's just there's interesting things that were happening and at the very least there's a displacement that 2020 has sort of you know yeah. caused in a lot of people so i th- i think First Peter would resonate with a lot of modern, uh, a lot of modern people because he's writing to folks that feel exiled. And when I hear you describe your, you know, wandering, yeah, it seems like you're a wandering exile. Oh and yeah. And some of it's self-imposed. Some of it's, um, you're it's out of your control. And so I just wondering if like that, is that a fair assessment? Like, do you feel that way in, in any way? Oh yeah. I mean, kind of when you everything that I've valued and I've had control over or the illusion of control. Um, you know, I had direction. I knew where I was going. And now with, with losing that, it's, I have no idea what's happening. I just kind of feel wandering around looking for the next, you know, sign or, or direction or navigation to steer me. Um, but yeah, definitely exile is a good word for it. Wanderer. Exile. Yeah. So how do you, so here's the thing that I'm wondering. Exile. You're aware of New Year's resolutions, right? Slightly. Slightly aware. So New Year's resolution, like I kind of said, it seems like folks are wanting to turn the page from 2020 being a rough year to 2021, and they're hopeful. Resolutions are always right. They're always about people's desire to change. They want to be a better version of themselves. Uh, And so New Year's sort of channels that desire to become different and better. And so whether they're going to the gym or whatever, um, 2021, people people got some hopes. So one of the things I've seen, though, is that Christianity sorts of like it gets the message of Christianity. There's a risk of distorting it when you treat it as a New Year's resolution. Yeah. Um, is there like, I don't know, like, do you feel like you have do you think through these things? Like, do you make New Year's resolutions? No, I stopped a couple of years ago. I make, I kind of jumped on this train. I don't know if you've ever heard of one word. No. What is and that? it's like, 
you just, instead of setting like goals, like I want to lose 10 pounds or I'm going to eat fruit every day or something like that. Because inevitably those are, if you haven't already made them, like the, the likelihood of you actually following through with them going forward is not great. So one word is um, you set the tone or the theme for the year going forward. So you set a, like a word. A lot of times you pray through that and set a word. So um, my, my word for 2020 was bold. I was going to do things that, you know, would invoke courage and that normally would fear me that I'm going to go through and be bold and do things or, or finally like be the person that I wanted to be as, as a person, not necessarily like an action sense. Um, so I set tones or themes for personal growth in that sense. Yeah. Do you, uh, find yourself thinking through, like, do you set New Year's resolutions that are faith-based? Like spiritual New Year's resolutions? Mm, uh, I probably used to, especially like when I first got saved and stuff as far as like reading. Like I want to read X amount of books or do something like that. I think now, just in my train of thought now, I think that's hard to set a goal and measure it because I don't want my faith to be linear and something that is just like on a piece of paper to be able to cross off like I did it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of that is fluid and changing and hence this last season I'm going through, I never would have planned, you know, in my faith goal to walk through a season of suffering and exile and just to cross that off just to say like, I'm a real Christian. So a lot of it is fluid. So I just want to, you know, be in the moment and just be prepared as much as I can. Um, when you say linear faith, do you mean that it's, there's a timeline and that it's going somewhere? Or do you mean like your emotions are always going to be, you're on the upward hill, upward growth trajectory of always being happier and happier and happier and happier. Probably, probably that second part of like the, you know, your, your linear growth. But I guess I mean more so linear as in predictable. Oh, like I can predict that my faith, like setting a faith goal means that like I'm expecting that to happen. And a lot of times with faith, like I don't know what's going to happen, you know, with my walk with God, like, yeah, I want to grow and trust in him. And everything like that and I want to grow closer to him and there's certain things I can do that as far as the disciplines but with my actual faith like I don't want to set a linear goal just expecting it to be somewhere where it may or may not be sure yeah that makes sense and that yeah and I think that's what's hard about setting uh, faith like spiritual resolutions is that if you're not mindful of like where this is all heading in general in yeah. in redemptive like history like where are we are we going to heaven like what what's what happening like where is this all heading then we tend to like think well if i set this goal of like i want to be i don't know i want 2021 to be a year of spiritual flourishing and if you think what that if you picture in your imagination what that looks like i'm going to be more happy i'm going to be more peaceful i'm going to be more less depressed or whatever and what happens if like dad dies or yeah. you get cancer or you fall through a window and cut your arm. <laughs> it's like, what, then what you suffering, you feel yeah. hardship. And then does that mean, can you just set, I guess what we're getting, what I'm getting at is like, it feels like with the new year's resolution style of faith, you, uh, there's a tendency to sort of decide you're not going to suffer anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's your, you're expecting and planning for like the prosperities and like the good things that you want to happen and that you expect God to do for you. Yeah. And you're not planning. And I don't want to say planning cause I hate the, like 
I hate the idea, which you kind of have to, but I hate the idea of planning for suffering, but you're not like your faith is built on a mountain, on the mm. mountaintop feeling, on the, the joy feeling. You're concentrating on the joy feeling when there's so much of it that is like in the valley. Yeah. So let me ask you, like, aren't we called to, if we have faith, we will experience um, healing and we'll experience yep. joy and uh, a flourishing life. Like, isn't that, isn't that in the Bible that if we have faith, like we'll experience good things? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So how does that fit into your theology of suffering? Like, I don't know. I'm new to that. That's that's what's been like, I've been wrestling with, you know, for the last couple months. It's like, not that like you always hear about suffering, you know, in the Bible, like Paul talks about suffering, like it's there. But I guess in my mind, I always thought of suffering as I'm like, oh, that's Paul. Like he saw Jesus, like Jesus stopped him on the road. Like he's way more spiritual and better than I am. Like Mm. his suffering, he's still joyful. He's still laughing. Like he's not depressed at all. Like, that's just like kind of a figure of speech, you know, the suffering, right? Like, like rid of pain. But then when I go through suffering, I'm depressed, I'm lonely, I'm hurting, like in ways mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually that I never thought. I'm like, so I must be doing something wrong, hmm. you know, that, that that that's not me. So this idea of like Jesus as healer, he absolutely is, you know. But then the, what what about in the middle? It's right. Like, so there's a line in First Peter here. It says that God has, in his mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead um, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's a, a big sentence there. But... One of the things that I read that and I'm like, okay, God has caused us to be born again. And just that idea of being born again, which is so beautifully represented in our baptism, um, you're you're like down in the water and you're up out of the water and you're in this new life. And one of the, I mean, this is one of the testimonies that, testimonies to God and is that we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And so when I share with like people that, you know, God saved me. Part of my testimony is like, well, in college, I was very depressed and unhappy. And I just, I could know, I, my life was going nowhere. I didn't know what the heck was going on. I didn't know who I was. And then uh, Jesus saved me and started following his, his way. And I was like, whoa, this, there's life here. There's real community, real relationship, real joy. And so in a sense, being born again is like, well, yeah, you're born again, Christian. You should you should be happy. You should be joyful. You should be these types of things. And so I feel like there's an incredible pressure, especially for Christians that have that born again mindset that suffering challenges that it's like, Oh, am I I really born again? If I'm this unhappy that the born again excludes the suffering and the pain that it's because I do. I mean, I had that too. Like when I was pre-saved and right after I got saved, I still suffer with anxiety and depression and, and did, you know, for years. And it's when you hear people that, Oh, I, I was like this. And then G and then, but Jesus, and now I'm not. And I'm like, well, I'm that's, he's, he's the healer of that. That's what that's going to happen. And then yeah. it still isn't. And yeah. there's that suffering in the middle. And that's like, it's been a wrestling process. The middle of what, what do you mean by that? Middle of healing. So like middle of like the stuff, like having it. And then in the middle waiting for the healing, it's like mm. until that moment comes that like, yeah. 
no longer there. Interesting. Because that's what, like, when you, I'm very literal, too. So, like, when people say that, you know, I didn't have, like, God healed my anxiety and my depression. I just think of, like, sudden gone. Like, it's just a flip of the switch. Suddenly, like, they're just, like, only thinking happy thoughts, like, joyful, wise. Yeah. Coolest cats on the planet. (laughs) And then, but, like, I don't, now I don't think that that's how that works. You know, I, I, I think that there is healing there, but I don't think like that a hundred percent of the time that they don't ever have an anxious thought or like a depressed thought ever. Yeah. Do you also feel like there's some pressure, uh, to, you know, over, uh, overstate how joyful and born again we are? Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. Like you were saying, uh, like, I was depressed and then like God saved me and like, I'm not depressed anymore. Yeah. Or I, I was this addict, you know, I was like shooting up heroin or whatever. And then as soon as God saved me, Never again did I touch drugs. There's always that kind of storyline that yeah. we, I feel like they're, when I'm talking to people who don't know Jesus, or at least, I don't know, maybe like, I'm just going to speak personally as a pastor of a church that, uh, you know, we're, we're like actually trying to reach people, like new people. And that would be uh, my heart's desire <laughs> is to have <laughs> new people come to the faith. And so I feel like when I'm sharing Jesus with somebody, I'm like, okay, the good news is that Jesus wants to save you and um, bring your life out of the darkness and into the light. And to describe that, I'm like, okay, you're miserable right now, right? Well, when you get saved, you will be blessed and happy yeah. and joyful. And like to put that too simply and to too too strongly um it just feels cheap it feels like i'm trying to like run a sales pitch on some like like if you buy this honda like it's gonna your life is gonna be a thousand times better and i i sometimes feel like that's how it comes across when i share the gospel with people yeah like you buy this whole christianity thing like your life's gonna be a thousand your, times better. your earthly life yes your will earthly be life. yeah yeah i think that's the dangerous line that is out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've been in that realm as well. Yeah. Of God will make my earthly life prosperous. I'll have everything I've ever wanted just because I pray. Yeah. Or like, you know, I, I go to church on Sunday. So what do you think about this? Okay. So you're like, you've talked about, I you are, you think about the gifts and yeah. about spiritual power that Jesus gives to the believer mm-hmm. through the Holy Spirit. Um. I've heard people say, well, if you have enough faith, then God will heal you because it's always God's desire to heal you and to heal your neighbor, your whatever, the person you come into contact on the street with. It's always God's desire to heal that person if you have enough faith. And and I people cite like the stories in the gospels when the disciples walk around and they're casting out demons and they're they're healing sickness and there's this sense of like, you know, it, Jesus literally says in, in one of the stories that, you know, you, you, you have little faith, like you, you don't have enough faith and that's why it wasn't, you weren't able to perform this miracle mm-hmm. or whatever. And so then we sort of import that, that understanding of faith equals, like if I have enough faith, if I have a lot of faith, then that means uh, the spiritual power will flow through me and this stuff will just get fixed. Yeah. The suffering will, will end. Like healing only comes at a certain line of faith. Yeah, exactly. Like, so you have this like, like yeah, yeah, like this. Must, be, must have this 
like a like an amusement park like you must yep. be this tall to ride this <laughs> ride you must yeah. have this amount of faith for your healing to come and it's just like you have to just keep mustering and keep working and growing like yeah no absolutely so you felt that way oh absolutely so how do you deal with that you just like <laughs> how do you deal with how that? do i deal with that it's like a lot of pressure like because yeah. then like you feel like like a horrible person and a horrible like Christian. Cause like, you're not enough. Like if that's the standard and my faith isn't there, then like, what am I doing wrong? And then it's like, Oh, well, I guess I need to pray more. Or I gotta, you know, read more. I have to do X, Y, Z. And it's, it becomes a works mentality just mm-hmm. to think that you have to get to this spot and it's exhausting. Right. And then you just eventually like, I mean, for me, I don't want to say speaking this rhetorically, I came to the end of myself with that. Like there's multiple times, especially in the last year and a half of like feeling that way. And yeah. then kind of like it becomes a comparison game. That's what it is. Like it's because someone that has experienced that, that you look up to has larger faith or you, you describe as larger faith. You want to be like them. And so you work and do that. And then when that doesn't happen, when you're not them, then you just like get disappointed and crushed. Or like when, when you feel like you, like I would put a personal timeline on something. So I'm like, I'm expecting healing for my broken foot for something. My broken foot. Broken foot. (laughs) And it's like, if I just pray and my faith right now isn't enough to heal it. But if I pray and read and maybe fast a day, a week, then in a month, you know, like then it's like after our timeline, then if that doesn't happen, then it's like, well, what now? Mm-hmm. Which kind of ties back to the the New Year's resolution, the goal. Like everyone, this like I'm. We were talking this morning. Like I'm so I'm actually very worried for America and a lot of our generation for the next coming weeks and month because I think a lot of people have this mentality that right when it hits midnight on New Year's Eve, that New Year's Day, life's like. Well, 2020 is behind us. Everything that happened there is gone, like back to normal. It's like turning a chapter and book. And it's just, it's like, yeah, it's like turning like a whole new page. Like, yep. And that suddenly COVID's gone and, right. and everything's back to normal. And it's like, and then that New Year's resolution mentality kicks in of like, we're just going to get better. Everything's great. And then it's like kind of January 10th and 14th and the 20th kick along. And it's like, I'm really worried for that timeline when people realize that we're still suffering and it's not 2020 anymore. Yeah. That the problems are still there. Exactly. Exactly. And then people have an existential crisis or whatever. They're like, Oh my, what is my life? You know? And so how do we, yeah. Like how do we make sense of this? Um, this understanding of like, we're still like Peter says that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus rose from the dead and that we believe in Jesus, we trust in Jesus, we follow Jesus. And so the hope is that we will have resurrection life, right? And so let me ask you this, like how, how does that basic truth of Christianity like affect your understanding of suffering? I think just like that it's... It's, it's not, I don't want to say it's not pointless, but it's not now. Like it's temporary, like as much as like, and this is something I wrestle with. I don't want to say it so confidently. Like I don't have doubts about this, but that if I'm alive, I'm 28. So if I live for 
65, 70 more years, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and then everything that like, if my suffering doesn't end, like that's going to suck or like the things that I'm praying for don't happen, like that's going to suck. But in the grand scheme of things, like, like Paul says in Romans eight, like our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the like future glory that we're going to have. So I just try and always have a heavenly mindset of like, yeah, this sucks. But like, if I wasn't, my faith isn't in this present lifetime. It's in like Christianity is about post like life after now kind of, I don't know how to best theologically and like wisely (laughs) say that, but like, but like our our hope, like our hope isn't for right now. Like it's like our salvation for our souls and like, and like heaven. So it's, I just try and keep reminding myself of that, of like what I play like. And sometimes I'll like imagine like, I wonder what heaven's like, you know, and like just imagine like life without pain and without tears and like like it says in revelation all that stuff will be wiped away and just try and imagine you know the the beauty in that mm-hmm. so you you were sharing with me some articles some like blogs and stuff there was some things in there that it was really exciting you like do you mind yeah i was just that's why i was like silent i was like oh gosh i was just looking through those trying to find like a nugget to, <laughs> to share give us some nuggets give you some nuggets um yeah i don't know man like so here's the thing I was thinking about with the prosperity, like the way that that inter- relates to the prosperity gospel is that, you know, like a Joel Steen or some of these other, like I'm straight naming names. You know, right. The, I mean, it's Joel Steen's like freaking, it's everybody knows. I think he listens to this podcast. Yeah, nobody, yeah, nobody, nobody's going to care about that. <laughs> but like guys, there are people out there, you know, uh, guys and gals that use their platform to say, like God, if you, it's a transaction. They describe faith as a transactional relationship with God. Basically that if you tithe to our church and you believe in these sort of core beliefs about our faith, then God will bless you now with a fat bank account with, you know, you know, health, wellness, and prosperity. And the problem with that is not necessarily that they're wrong, that God's going to bless you. The problem with that mainly is the timing of when God's going to bless you. And so that relates to the conversation of faith and suffering is that, you know, it's important that we understand how Jesus makes sense of suffering because if you tell somebody who's depressed or suffering that if they have enough faith, then God wants to make them happy and God will make them happy. And then, then they feel crushed when they're not, when they don't experience that, when they don't all of a sudden just become happy and experience health and wellness and prosperity in that moment. Um, then they start to really wrestle with like, is Jesus real? Like, is this hope real? Is this faith? Like, what is this? Is this any of this real? Is it legit? And that, that, uh, I think it's in, yeah, it's in Peter here where he says, rejoice for now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith and then he describes it as sort of like gold jewelry um, that's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what he's basically saying is that the suffering serves a purpose mm-hmm. to test to see if your faith is legit. Yeah, it's a suffering's. A, I had it written down here. Suffering is a revealer. Yeah, it's like what what were your anchors tied to? So when everything like when your anchors like for me, I went through this. Like a lot of things I had tied to. Like yeah, I love Jesus, but I had my hope in anchors on a lot of other things and that were tied to my identity and when they got cut and they flew away you know what's left right and it's like an 
awfully awesome right place to be in you know if, especially if you're a person of faith and you want to grow closer to god it reveals what's there but then also like it's like oh well i did have things tied in god but that means i want to be closer to god like that's how i was i was like all right let's get the like let's work let's let's get this back and like figure out how i can get closer to god and get these anchors tied in the right place right so let me just use a personal example um i was so I fell, I've shared this before, if anybody's listened to more than one of these podcasts. Um, I I fell at my house. We were restoring, we're, we are currently still restoring this old Victorian era house, right? And then uh, there was this window uh, in the stairwell I was working on and I fell into it. And my arm got cut on a piece of glass and I, I like lost feeling to my hand. I couldn't use it. And it was a big ordeal, had to get flown out to Iowa City, and like it was this big thing, and and I had never been hurt that bad. And and I'm so I, and I one of the results of being hurt this bad and not having function in my hand is that I'm not able to do some of the things that I love and some of the things that I still can do, I can't do them to the level and to the skill level that I was I've been used to. So like guitar playing I can still kind of do, um, but not even close to what I want to be at, what I used to be able to do. And I barely can woodwork. Uh, I love woodworking with hand tools and I barely can do that. I can, I can't hold a hammer with my right hand. And so that kind of restricts what I do. So I I was, I've told people this story who I've come into contact with. And like I was over, um, somewhere with a group of people who I, who I love and I care about, but they were like, we're going to pray for you. God wants to heal your arm. God's going to heal it. And they just like declared that, that God is going to heal your hand. And so they prayed for me and instantly, like nothing happened instantly, right? And God can do that yeah. totally within his prerogative, right? And his power to do that. But he, he chose not to. And I'm still, you know, in this slow sort of road of recovery. And one of the things that challenges me is that what if my hand doesn't get better? Like, what if I'm not able to play guitar as well as I used to? What if I'm not able to woodwork and build amazing things? Like, what, what if I'm not able to do those things? What if I'm never to, what if I'm not ever going to feel at home in my body again? Mm-hmm. And, and I think about Abraham and Abraham is the, uh, uh, like Peter, like to understand the biblical story, like when he calls these people exiles, elect exiles, um, he, he's doing this thing that he does elsewhere in his letter where he's linking this mostly Gentile, mostly non-Jew Christian community, um, linking them to Jews of the Old Testament. He's saying that you're like Abraham, who was an exile and a wanderer. He was told to leave his home, you know, his, his homeland and his people group and go to the promised land. God promised to flourish him and to make him into a great people group and a family and a nation. And Abraham never experienced the fullness of that. It's like it's yeah. like an architect that started to build a giant cathedral and he didn't live to see it completed. And so there's this sense in which he never arrived yeah. in this life. And so I may never arrive back at healing. And the Bible makes sense of that. But the problem is if my faith, if my understanding of hope is so tied to my present circumstances, then I'm wrecked. I'm absolutely wrecked when I don't experience 
here and now healing, here and now at homeness, like here and now happiness. Um, and so that's why I think it's important for people to understand, like, how do we make sense of hope in the context of suffering? Yeah. Because it may not get better for you in this life. You were talking about the instant healing of God. And I was reading, finally found something in one of these articles oh, to, nice. to share. Um, she's talking about walking through suffering. And now I got to find it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, but she's, uh, you know, just like when, when you're shaken and stuff and it's, and she says healing and deliverance can come instantaneously or it can be upon a steady road walking slowly alongside our savior. And, you know, I, I, I think that we were talking about, so let's say your hand doesn't get healed, you know? So then when you die, like your life, like then, then nothing it's either like there's there is healing or there's nothing and you just live like a crappy life mm-hmm. so it's like i think that's where a lot of like that's where our hope is it's like that healing will come and in this present time i'll have suffering but you know i have i have connection i have vertical connection with god and i have that joy that there can be joy in this suffering right yeah it i've heard it described as like one of the one of the byproducts of the fall, like a, because of human sin, um, the world we live in is cursed, and so when we experience suffering, there's this sense of which it's not supposed to be like this. Yeah, which is true. It's not supposed to be like this. It was not God's intention when He made the world to create a world in which you suffer and get cancer and your limbs don't work right or you're depressed all the time. Like it wasn't God's intention for you to be like that. And yet we are like that because of sin that entered the world through Adam and Eve. The world is cursed and we experience death. Like mm-hmm. we experience the reality of death. And I've heard it described that in Christ, the sting of death is taken out. Like the stinger, um, you know, like a bee stinger or whatever, yeah. is like taken out of it. And so suffering, I think it was in one of these articles, yeah. Utah. Yeah, was dude, it a Piper article? Yeah, it was Piper. Yeah, dude, this is a Piper thing, which is great because... Um, like, where was I going with that? Suffering. Yeah, yeah, the stinger's taken out. So when you experience suffering as an unbeliever, um, that ultimately leads to hell. Like, your life under the curse, you live in the brokenness of the world, and you also will die separated from the love of God if you do not follow Jesus and repent of your sins. Like, that's just the basic world, you know, basic understanding of Christianity and God. And the, um, the heartbreak is, is that, yeah, death is death. In that sense, the mm-hmm. stinger is in. Yeah. Um, but in the mercy of Christ, this is what Peter's saying that in God's mercy, um, now suffering is discipline. Is suffering is uh, is something that refines us. It's the refining fire, all that. So yeah, go ahead. You're you're like there. No, I'm right? like laughing because you're like almost quoting that like verbatim. Oh, really? Like yeah, um, yeah. He just he was he's Piper in this article is referring to. Um, uh, helping a family that that had a dying child and they're talking about like their family being cursed and he's talking about how death originally was given by God on earth on the earth as a curse but then since Christ um, took became that curse that he pulls a stinger out of that and that it's no longer a curse and that death is now a doorway to paradise and that suffering becomes used by God in fatherly care and discipline to purify mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right so, so you're like Absolutely. And the only reason that makes sense is because our hope is in something in the future. So 
hope we're so hopelessly biblically illiterate. I feel like I even struggle with this on like of a Bible degree and I'm struggling. Like sometimes I think hope is wishful thinking. Yeah. And it's super uh, important that we understand this, this time of year, because everybody has so much wishful thinking that gets channeled into new year's resolutions and gets channeled into this new year's talk. And if we think that the biblical hope is wishful thinking, then we totally misunderstand what hope is. Hope is something that we look back at what Christ did on the cross, and the Bible points to that and says, see, that right there, you will go and do likewise. You will resurrect from this ground, from from the dust and from death, and you will live eternally. And the only reason that's possible is because the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. Mm-hmm. So it's like sort of, Paul describes it as a down payment. He describes it as um, a proof or whatever. So like your, your suffering leads somewhere because Jesus' suffering led somewhere. So it's, it's Jesus animating your life now to where your hope is in this future thing that Peter says it's kept in heaven, an inheritance kept in heaven. And so, yes, telling somebody that through faith one day this will get better but it is totally unbiblical to promise to somebody that through faith you will get better right now and be able to declare that and guarantee that. Like it's not demonstrating um, super godly faith to say, I declare over your life that your arm is going to get healed in Jesus name because I have that power to declare that because God is in me. It's like this, you can't control it. Mm Mm-hmm. It, like the spirit of God is not some sort of like, you know, thing you can just grab and like yeah. wield like a, like it's, it's, not a, in, it's not a magic wand. Like he's yeah. not a magic wand to just, no, he can. And like, that's like the thing. Cause like, I think, and you had said this earlier, like God totally can like do that instantaneous healing, but it's not our power to control that. Right. You know, it's not like he's given us authority, but it's not our authority to do that. Right. So, well, let me, you got anything else burning? I was, anything to I was, share on the weird, it's kind of off topic a little bit, but I was throughout our conversation, I was thinking of, um, a conversation I had someone with a couple of weeks ago about, um, the midst of suffering. And obviously I think a lot of people want to relate back to Job in that yeah. and like kind of the famous person to go through it. Um, and suffering, but in Job, after God reveals himself to Job, and kind of corrects him, you know, Job says in verse 42, verse, or chapter 42, verse 5, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Hmm. And I, I was reading something um, about how Job had heard of God through his prosperity and like when, when everything was going good, but then through the suffering is when he got to see God mm. and God was re- like, and then God revealed himself wow. to Job in the suffering. And I was like, that's pretty heavy. that is heavy so i want to be super clear like one of the things that i think we can do is assume the gospel this happens all the time i do this as a preacher um do this i do this as like just in my devotional life with god i just assume the gospel i move on from the meat and potatoes of what christianity is and so i want to be like super clear about this um jesus isn't just our example jesus didn't just walk through suffering to give us a cute little example um, and say, well, great, like we can be like him and, and like, that's the point of the cross. That's, that's not the, the meat and potatoes of the cross is that we don't experience the wrath of God. 
like the the big theological word is propitiation. Jesus on the cross became sin, like the innocent lamb was slain, and so that he became a curse to redeem us from the curse of the law. So now no longer is the wrath of God over us. And so Jesus is suffering. I think it was you that we were having a conversation earlier that you said something like, we become like Jesus. We don't become Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So this is where it's important to distinguish Jesus's suffering from our suffering. Jesus's suffering, he took sin, like he took your sin upon himself and he obliterated it on the cross. And so all the things that stood between you and God, Jesus' suffering took that away. And that's why your suffering now is no longer characterized by separation because Jesus' suffering um, was unique to Jesus. Your suffering now is suffered um, in, the, in union in relationship with God because of what was made possible by Jesus' suffering. So mm-hmm. like... We can't miss that because that's what actually brings meaning. God is a relational God. We are in relationship with Jesus. He's not some sort of abstract figure or even a hero that we look at and say, yeah, we're going to be like that in suffering. We're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we're going to like go be like that. Like, no, we're, we're going to be met in we, like our relationship with God, union with Christ. Like we, we now have the presence of God with us in suffering because of Jesus' suffering. So I, I want to throw this to you. Like, it feels like sometimes in conversations like this, you go, well, what do we do? We just like sit around in misery? Yeah. No, that's <laughs> I was gonna, well, no, I don't want to say, yeah, like, yeah, just yeah. Because I was going to ask you the same thing. Like, how do you get, you know, then, like, as I think a lot of people when they, and I'm guilty of this, when you, like, a lot of times that's why I'm reading these articles on suffering because I want to know how you get out. Yeah. So how do you get out? How do you get out of suffering? Yeah. Death. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Paul says this. He says, um, oh, man, I'm going to paraphrase this. I don't know where this is exactly. He says that um, it's better for me to die because I'm going to go be with Christ. Um, Like, I'll be with God, and that's far better. But but he's actually going to – he needs to stay for a while longer for their benefit. So living this life of suffering for Paul, and life was suffering for Paul, like sharing, um, sharing Jesus across the Mediterranean and like journeying around and declaring the kingdom of God was really hard on Paul. He was like getting shipwrecked and imprisoned and beaten and all sorts of stuff. And so life was, he even said he despaired life itself. And, uh, and so for him, it's like, of course, being with Christ is gain. I think it's Philippians. I, was, it's, I think it's uh, Philippians one twenty. Philippians one twenty three. You want to read it? Uh, let me get pulled up. Because this is like right after he's talking about uh, in verse twenty one, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, so then, in verse twenty three, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Right. And so to live as Christ in the flesh, in this body, is to, um, is to join Christ in his suffering. 
like that's part of what it means to live um, this side of heaven, like where we're at in in the uh, what the Bible calls the last days, right? Is that this world is still broken? It's not yet remade. God has not returned the second time to remake all of this and to bring in the new Jerusalem, the new creation. And so we live in this life where it's still characterized by suffering and brokenness. And Jesus um, gave us a grid to make sense of this. He says, come follow me and bear your cross. And Paul really unpacks that, right? In Romans, um, what is it? Romans Romans 8. He says that when we join Jesus in suffering, we also join him in like glory. Mm-hmm. And then he uses the metaphor of a woman giving birth uh, is that, you know, for a while, the woman is moaning and groaning and in incredible pain. And, and like, I've seen three births, like I've seen uh, my all three of my daughters get brought into this world. And it's quite amazing. It's just it's it's incredibly bloody um, and full of pain. And yet when the child is brought into the world, like, bam. It's amazing. Like they're beautiful. This new life. And so Paul's saying that uh, life as a Christian is like that. You're living in this world, suffering, like groaning in childbirth, labor. And then one day uh, we will be uh, in heaven with God. And that is like when we're born. Yeah. And all of the suffering of our life will be no longer remembered because it's just the joy of being in the presence of Christ in the new creation will be so great. And that right there, right? Like (laughs) this is hard because we constantly want to move on to, yeah, yeah. But like, I want a better job. Like, yeah, yeah. But I want to lose a few pounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is a great conversation, but afterwards I'm going to be like deeply entrenched in just wanting a better life here and now. And the, the new Testament just doesn't let you off the hook. Like the biblical writers in the New Testament say, no, heaven, the, the, the way Peter phrases it, is your inheritance. What you will get is something that is being stored away in storage in heaven right now. You don't get to have that yet. You get to taste in it through the spirit of Christ, but you don't get to have it in its fullness yet. That's getting stored away in the fridge, <laughs> and then you can have the whole thing later but man this is an nt right thing but I, in his book surprised by hope he says uh have you read that no it's really good he talk. it's about the resurrection and essentially what he says is when someone says um you're storing up treasures in heaven um you could phrase it like it's like saying i'm, I'm keeping the beer in the fridge for you <laughs> you don't live in the fridge ah, you know what i mean yeah so Jesus is storing this imperishable um, inheritance for us as believers. He's keeping the beer in the fridge in heaven. But one day he will return and we'll get to enjoy that. We'll get to enjoy um, all of this life the way that it was intended to be in his presence. We're, so that, that makes like... So like, I guess a lot of this too is like, I want to correct like a thought of like, well, if I'm just suffering in like heaven like the end goal, like, so this life is just going to suck. So like, you know, like how do you find joy in this life then? And like find purpose and meaning as far as like, like someone that had lost their job. Right. You know, it's like, well, I guess I'm just destined for heaven. So like, I'm just need to be happy being unemployed and all this stuff for the rest of my life. Like, how do you, so like, how do you still work? You know, and I don't want to say work like vocational, but like, 
you know, work on your life and work on your faith in that moment of suffering? That's a really good question. The, uh, the, um, beautiful thing about Jesus when he, uh, I think this is in John. Yeah, it's in John. So Jesus is deeply concerned about his friends that have been following him. They've been doing life together. So his 12 disciples and towards the latter half of the gospel of John, Jesus is going through, um, he's like kind of preparing to leave the world. Remember when he says like he's going to depart from them and then he gives what they call the high priestly prayer. He like prays for his, his buds to God and, and asks for like them to be kept and persevered and all that. Well, one of the things he says is that I'm not going to act like I'm going to leave you bodily, but I'm going to send the helper to be with you. And so when you see in scripture suffering talked about, it's never like just grit and bear it, like bite the bullet. Um, it's yes, this is going to suck. We're totally honest about that. But the reason you're not completely at lost is because God is with you. Like the spiritual presence of Christ is is with you, mm-hmm. literally with you. And it's not an idea. Uh, it's not a feeling. Um, God is actually with you spiritually. And so then the, te- the, the, way, the practical application of all this is to say then, well, how do I lean into the spirit of Christ? Like how do I experience the spiritual yeah. presence of God in the midst of suffering, that becomes the task. Yeah, We acknowledge that suffering exists and there's no squirming out of it. And so we need to lean into it with Jesus. And so we're saying, well, how, and that's how I think you can get like a Romans where he's, uh, or a Philippians where Paul says, I consider it all joy. And he says, rejoice, yeah. rejoice. I say again, you know, rejoice. And, and it's woven into this understanding of suffering. Like life is hard yet. God is with us. And the the only, okay, the way this makes sense to me is life is going to be hard anyway. Isn't that a Buddhist maxim, max? Like a Buddhist thing is that life is suffering. Like I think that's either um, Hinduism or know. Buddhism. I'm, I'm Christian. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but like the world knows this. It's just a part of the fabric of life is yeah. that you life is hard. So either life is hard and you have no hope or life is hard and you have hope. There's yeah. no like for some people life's not hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because even like teenage think, kids in rich suburban America kill themselves. Yeah. Like there's misery in every pocket of this world. So Jesus enters into every pocket of this world and joins us in our suffering through faith. And I think a lot of that ties into, do you have anything? I don't want to No, I don't have any. I feel like I'm talking. I'm just like talking at you. It's your podcast. <laughs> no, it's uh, not. It's our uh, church's podcast. Um, I think a lot of that ties into like endurance. Yeah. Like, um, so I, I, that's a word that we had talked about earlier that has been just lingering in my mind and in readings and stuff the last week or so is, is endure and endurance. So I had to look it up and then I got in front of me because why not? Hmm. Uh, endure means to suffer patiently. And I think that's what like the spirit of God helps us mm-hmm. endure That's right. and suffer patiently. Like, and I think a big key thing there is patiently that we want, like, obviously we want out of it. Like no one wants to walk through pain and suffering. Like that's not on my bucket list. That's not a new year's resolution of mine. Like I didn't want these, this, the last quarter of this year to happen. Right. I didn't plan that. 
but how do I, like, so then when that does happen, how do I get out of that? I lean into the spirit of God who helps me suffer patiently. Right. And this is personally, when I read the Bible and it talks about joy, I think that joy coexists with suffering. I think that joy and suffering can happen at the same time. You see that all over the place. Like count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. And how can that happen? How can James say count count it joy when you face trials? That doesn't make any sense. No. Unless your understanding of joy is, is more robust than just a, 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 like a surface level feeling of happiness. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I'm happy when I order a Casey's breakfast pizza. <laughs> you know, you for you, it's the Culver's kids meal. Oh, don't, don't hate. Dude, it's such a Midwestern I was thing. just going to say, that was like the most Midwest, <laughs> like three sentences that we could have ever said. Like, so for us, oh. it's like, yeah, we're happy when that happens. But like joy, you know, joy is so much deeper and it's not less than happiness. I think that's important. Joy is not less than happiness. It's more, it's a more robust understanding of like the, the, like the presence of Christ is with us and, and confirming in us that yes, indeed, we will become like Jesus someday and resurrect a new life. But right now it's suffering. But yet I know God is with me. I feel his presence. I know he's with me. He's confirming with me. And anyways, we could go. That's a whole nother podcast on joy, but suffering produces joy because God doesn't leave us alone. Like he's, he he confirms his realness to us in the midst of suffering. That's the message of Peter when he says that it tests your faith and proves its genuineness. Genuineness. Suffering brings a magnifying glass and a confirming thing. Like, like, is this, is this real? Is Ben's faith real? Well, you don't really know until you hit hard stuff. Yeah. Well, and then it's like all with Romans too, starting in verse five, chapter five, verse two, he says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and which and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's right. Dang. So the way that ends answers your question. Whatever your question was. (laughs) But I remember like, how do we get out of it? That's right. Yeah. Given suffering, suffering is a reality. How do we deal? How do we get out of it? How do we hang? Whatever your way you want to phrase it. And like, I feel like that answers it, right? Yeah. God's word answers it, that God, that God loves you in the midst of your brokenness. You know, your legs don't work. Your, you got cancer. Your kid dies in a car accident. Whatever the serious suffering you have in your life. Uh, or maybe you're just chronically depressed, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and like you're God talking loves about, you. Yeah, and God God loves you. And I think this ties into, um, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, and verse 7, he says, love, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Yeah. That God's love is through with us through all of that. Right. And I think that's like a lot of times people think when they're suffering, God doesn't love them. Yeah. It's like, uh, he's mad at me. You know, I need to go sit and time out for a little bit and suffer for a little bit and, you know, do something right to be able right. to get out of it. But it's like he endures all things. He's in with us through all things. So think about this too. Like, are you familiar with the Exodus story? You know, like 
like the book of Moses Exodus. Moses and stuff. <laughs> like the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. And yeah. Egypt. <laughs> the Exodus uh, story is really the archetype for salvation in the rest mm-hmm. of the Bible. Um, you know, when you think about deliverance and rescue, like where does that get displayed most uh, like clearly? It's in the Exodus story. And so that like to make sense of suffering, there's two kinds of suffering uh, in the Exodus story. There's the first kind when they're in Egypt, suffering in slavery, like they're oppressed. And it says that God saw their suffering. He knew them. He knew their suffering. He was aware of it. And um, God knew, like he knows Mm -hmm. that life, you know, he knows, he knows they're oppressed. And so God being the loving, good father that he is, he wanted them out of that. Like, and and so that's one truth that everyone who suffering needs to understand that God loves you and he doesn't want you to suffer. Yeah. He wants you out of that suffering. So he does rescue them through uh, Moses. He delivers his people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And then what happens though? He go, they go to the wilderness. So that's another type of suffering. Uh, the wilderness is like a trial yeah. hardship. We don't normally call it suffering. Like, like we were talking about earlier, the the wandering and the exile is like it's like exactly. the wilderness. Like it's all kind of the same thing. Exactly. And so Jesus, um, this is why Jesus teaches us this by by um, when he started his ministry, he went into the wilderness. So that that demonstrates that just because you're going into the wilderness doesn't mean that God's love has left you or that God is not near to you anymore. And Jesus demonstrates that by going into the wilderness himself, and just like the people of Israel went into the wilderness. And what does he say to Satan when Satan says, why don't you just like, aren't you hungry? Like, go turn these stones into bread. And he says, man does not live by bread alone, like, but by the words of God. And so there's a, there's a type of nourishment that God provides in the wilderness and in what uh, I think it's the Gospel of Mark calls the desolate place. So it's in the it's significant that in the desolate place Jesus provides the bread and and the like the fish and the loaves. So the five thousand get fed in the desolate place. Yeah. So it's a lie from Satan that God doesn't love you anymore because you're suffering. It's also a lie from Satan that God's not going to provide for you in suffering. Uh, because the biblical story just doesn't square with that. The biblical story is that it's actually in suffering that God demonstrates that he himself is the superior nourishment and the superior pleasure than what the world yeah. has to offer. And you only discover that if you're in the wilderness. Like, And I think in the wilderness, too, you're, you're looking. Like, if you're in that desolate place, in that desert, like, I think a lot of people can, that hopelessness, or, you know, it's like everything's gone away and you're, you're searching for something. You mm-hmm. don't just sit there. That's right. And I think if you're like, if you're reading scripture, that's when like times when scripture will really pop out to you and relate to you. Cause like you're looking for it. That's right. And that's like, I think when you said like survive, like survive on, you know, the word of God, that, that hunger needs to get fed there. I'm not saying like, go eat something, eat a pizza or something like that. But like you're, you need to go into the word of God to get your identity back. Right. And, and get hope and get direction and, right. and not just like wander around. Because I think the big temptation is suffering to speak back of the Exodus story in Israel. You have, you have, you know, when they're out and wandering, they have two choices. Like they even talk about like, we want to go back to Egypt because 
So when you're suffering and, and certain times if you put yourself in there or if there's an option to go back, and that's like certain cases of suffering, but you want to go back to what's comfortable. You want to go back to getting fed. You want to go back to having a place to eat and sleep, but like forgot that you were a slave and like forgot that like you were getting whipped and life was horrible, but you just like kind of remember the comfortable mm-hmm. or like you have a choice of marching forward into the unknown into the promised land mm-hmm. that like God's told you about. And I don't want to like get that mixed up. Like I don't want people to think like, Oh, like God's told me about like, like the promised land being something in earth, you know, like, yeah. like, like, Oh, I'm going to march into like this better job. Like I just, I can either go back to like, you know, working this job I hated, but I had paid or like, you know, it's like not necessarily that, but I think you have, the point is you have two choices to go yeah. forward or go back. So let me, yeah, let me step on some toes here real quick is that this, it matters the timeline. Like I said about the prosperity gospel, it matters where your timing is when you think about when you will receive the fullness of your inheritance. Um, Or to put it another way, if you're in exile, it matters where you think your home is and when you will arrive there. Yeah. If you think America is your home and that in order to arrive there, you have to elect Donald Trump. And in order for you to get back to this sense of God and country, um, whatever your American dream is, it's, I'm going to pick on this version of it, but if, if the American dream is your vision of the good life and America is your home, then you will over, um, overemphasize the, this place and this nowness um, as the promised land. And what God is pleased to do is burn that off. Like this is the metaphor that Peter uses is that when you go through suffering, it's like a bar of gold or a piece of metal that runs through a furnace and burns all the, I think they call it the dross. It burns off the impurities Mm, and becomes something more pure. And so I think it's totally legit to understand that Satan's tactic is to pollute the way of Jesus with two things, you he you either it's polluted because you you think that um, your home here and all the comforts and all of the power that you enjoy and all that stuff is this is you don't even need heaven you don't even need God it's more of like well that's fine church stuff's fine God's fine whatever's fine but my real life is working for my little slice of heaven here in America. Um, and so Satan's like, great, you totally missed the point. And he, and, and, and the other way is Satan wants to pollute your faith by making you think that the hardships by you feeling not at home here means that you're not actually in the love of God. So there's like the comforts kill us and pollute us. And then also the hardships can kill us and pollute us because they both challenge this sense of like, where is our hope actually in? It's in the new creation with God. It's not, it's not here yet. We get to taste in things. Like we get to yeah. taste in God's love. We get to taste in community and all that kind of stuff. Like there's still good things. Yeah, to there's be still had. good like, things. Like it's not just like earth sucks and like just like. Yeah, in know. a podcast on suffering, we've yeah. definitely lingered on suffering. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we don't miss that. Like, yeah, we, we do experience grace in this life yeah. and blessing. But what I'm saying is, is that I, I see this all the time is that you a lot of folks, especially just in our context, I don't know, I just want to speak to the Midwest and the Clinton community, is the, the tendency is to grieve the loss of a Christian nation, 
grieve the loss of when remember when you can pray in schools remember when you, we put the oh, flag man. up and we said the pledge of allegiance and there's this sort of nostalgia when we look back on a version of america where we felt at home and that tends to get hyper um spiritualized and, and say and we start to think that that was our like that was our promised land yeah and so instead of longing for the kingdom of God, we long for the kingdom of America. And and so there you get like, yeah, I don't know. I think that you get a lot of funny things that happen there. People start working for political gain before um, loving their neighbor. Or like, you know, folks are like getting in Twitter wars and getting angry at one another on social media because... I don't know, like the, you've seen this, right? Like folks, like folks can be so aggressive to fight uh, stuff online. Like, how do you ruin in this country because you believe this and socialism and mm-hmm. economics and public policy and all these things people get really excited about, and yet they like get off, they get offline and like go watch porn. You yeah. know, like the intensity that they approach their walk with Jesus, like they manifest that in weird ways. Yeah that if we have a biblical understanding of where our hope actually is, then it helps bring, um, uh, like, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it starts to remove some of the chaos and we start to like, where, okay, where's our anchor? Yeah. Like where's our anchor actually at? If Trump's elected or Biden's elected, ultimately my hope is still, as Peter says, um, imperishable. It can't be corrupted. Yeah. Cause if you're like for that example, you know, if your hopes in Trump, you know, when he got elected in 2016, in four or four or eight years, your hope's gonna be over. Exactly. Like, you know, it's or even, even if he's your man, yeah, yeah, or even relationships or marriage. You know, they're beautiful, they're amazing things, and they're a gift from God. But you know, in at any given time, but in in X amount of years, like that's gonna end one way or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the task of the New Testament writers is to orient these people. Peter, let's just say Peter again, because there's so many similarities. His main goal is to help these people make sense of their suffering and make sense of their hardships. And the only way you make sense of that is to point people beyond the new year and point them out off into the 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 new creation, into the into heaven. Mm-hmm. So we are exiles, sojourners, wanderers in this life. The world is not our home because Jesus hasn't returned. When Jesus returns, that's when we're at home. But until that day, we are not at home. And that's very important for us to understand that like basic spiritual reality that we're not, we have not yet arrived. So what, let me ask you this. This is the last thing. Let's just transition into like wrapping this up. I think there's a, what do we do with it? Like you're talking about endurance. I remember like, that's an interesting thing. Like, I feel like is biblical, like if we have a biblical understanding of suffering, sometimes it still feels like, well, we're just going to sit around in misery mm-hmm. and I'm going to endure this thing. And even saying, okay, spiritual presence of God, I got, God is with me in my suffering. But like, how do we access that? Like, how do, how do we, how do we lean into the relationship with Jesus to help comfort us and to help us in the midst of suffering? Like, how do you in your suffering, lean into God to find comfort and joy. 
through prayer. Yeah. You know, because I'm so spiritual. Yeah. <laughs> through, You're so cynical. Through, <laughs> through prayer. <laughs> through through oh, prayer. Oh, yeah. The like word. actually like, prayer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually doing that. Talking to God. Yeah. But like, it's, and it's different. Like, I don't want to say like prayer, like as if I'm, you know, doing like the most biblical prayer. Like a lot of times that for me is like yelling at God mm. or being angry. But like one thing I've come to realize this is like, so if me and you, if my hope is in you and you end our friendship and I can't talk to you anymore, like my access to you is gone at certain places. That's right. But with God, like I've learned this in this season too, is like that even like, even me yelling at him and like knowing that I can creates that knowledge that like he's always with me. And that shows that he loves me because mm-hmm. his presence is always there. That's right. And so it's a lot of times it's me being angry or sad and crying and asking why or just sitting in silence. And like, obviously, I wish that there was someone there with me sometimes, you know, and had their arm around me and with me. But it's that I have someone to talk to. And that's what prayer, you know, looks like for me. And then it, it leads me to a disciplined approach of understanding, like Job said, I would heard you. I, I don't remember the hearing or, or seeing first, but like it, it allows me to see God in a whole new way. And then when I read scriptures, a lot of things are then revealed to me in ways I didn't know before. And so like, like you had said, suffering is a refining process, but through that refining, it's like a journey, a whole new journey with, with God and through that. Yeah. It's like, he's burning off what is perishable. If your hopes in me, our relationship inevitably will end. Yeah. If your hopes in a, and that limits girl our and or that, whatever, and that limits our like access because yeah. like if you're sleeping and I'm awake, like I just have to wait for you to wake up. <laughs> I can talk to <laughs> yeah. you, you know, like yeah, or like, or like if you're let's putting that in human aspect, but like like with God, like He's always available. That's to right. Talk. And Dude. that, but I don't also like because I I wish I would have told myself this many times. That also doesn't mean that like that's gonna give instant happiness and instant joy like his presence doesn't guarantee me like a get out of jail free card or get out of suffering free card like i don't want to put that out there like that it's not like it does but it doesn't it's not like yet right yeah no yeah sorry yeah i mean like right now like instantaneous like like god's presence with me means that i'll never like like oh he's with me with my suffering that means like all right we're gonna get out of here like we're just gonna leave and it's gonna be like i'm still gonna be alive but like, it's going to be joyous just because God's with me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I just think this is important. Like with thinking through like our wives or not our wives, but my wife and anybody who's listening who has a wife or a husband, uh, or kids or, uh, a mentor or whatever, a politician that they like an athlete that they like, if our hope is in those people, then yes, those are perishable things. Or if our hope is in an idea of a political nation uh, whatever, if it's in anything that's not the the kingdom of God, then th- those things are corruptible and perishable. And I think that's a timely word for uh, Clinton specifically, because Clinton is full of the heart bro- the heartbreak of the present. I mean, yeah, like Clinton is in a lot of th- you could look at a lot of metrics and say Clinton is a languishing place. I'm not saying everybody's languishing. But there are a lot of people suffering in this place. Um, At the very least, there is a sense of brokenness that what was here in the past 
that was flourishing and full of life is no longer here. Things used to be really good. Now they're not so good or they aren't as good as they used to be, whatever. Like there's a sense, general sense of brokenness. The idea of restoration is long gone. For a lot of people, yeah, yeah. they've given up hope. And the reason you give up hope in brokenness is because you put your hope in the wrong things. And it's a totally, I everyone can sympathize with that. I've done it. Everyone's done it. Everyone's put their hope in something that's let them down. And the basic message of the gospel is that Jesus won't let you down, is that your hope in him is a sure thing because it's not wishful thinking. You know, for me to think through, um, I hope that Clinton increases in population by 20,000 people and jobs are everywhere and like the riverfront gets tons of new restaurants and everything is just awesome. That's wishful thinking. As good as it is a, a, a nice wish as it is, um, it's wishful thinking. There's no guarantee that that's going to happen. There is a guarantee that we will be brought to heaven in the presence of Jesus and there will be no more brokenness mm-hmm. in the new creation. That guarantee. And the guarantee, the reason I understand that as a guarantee is because I have the spiritual presence of Christ. He's, Paul says that's a down payment. That's God saying, you see, Jesus, Jesus died and rose. You will also die and, ra- and raise from the ground. Yeah. You will also experience this resurrection life someday. And in order to prove it to you, I've put my spirit inside of your heart. Like you now live with God. And uh, that guarantees that we're going to get that hope. So it's, it's beyond wishful thinking. And it's more like it's a matter of being patient and having endurance, like you said. Yeah. And so I think that's why it's important for us to understand um, who perseveres us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, this is why, like, yeah, yeah, this is why I focus on, I find a lot of comfort in where the Bible says that God is the one that perseveres us and that God is the one that gives us strength. And in First Peter, it says that we God caused us to be born again. And so it puts all of the burden onto God mm-hmm. to deliver us and to endure us through suffering. Um, Jude, like the, the letter to, in like Jude, it says, contend for the faith. And... Uh, I thought you said dude. Dude. The letter of dude. Jude dude. The dude Jude. He says in his... Okay, so at the beginning of Jude, it sounds like a New Year's resolution. It says, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Because there are some people that have come in here, I'm paraphrasing now, that have perverted the faith. They pervert the grace of God. And so he says, contend for the faith. And you think, man, yes, I resolve to contend for the faith. Like, I'm not going to let the church get polluted. I'm not going to let my own faith get polluted. All that type of stuff. But then you get then you get to the end, and he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And you're like, I'm, I better keep myself in the love of God. I better pray. I better get in my Bible. I better run around and go to church as much as possible at every church possible. I got to keep myself in the love of God. And then just when you're thinking that that's what it's about is your effort, you get to verse 24 and it says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time now and forevermore. So essentially Jude is doing what everybody else in the Bible does and says, all right, all right, all right, all right. God is the one that 
brings you to God. It's God's power. It's God's grace. It's God's mercy. And so what perseveres you through suffering is God. Mm-hmm. It's not your effort. So yeah. even if you fail at all your New Year's resolutions, it's by grace through faith that you will be brought through the trials, brought through the hardships of whatever 2021 brings. Yeah. And I think I, I just had the sense of this, and I don't want to deter from what you just said, but I also wanted to be known, like, if someone's suffering right now and you're listening to this, like, I don't want to make you feel guilty for being sad. Yeah. Like, I don't want, like, that's not, because I'm sad. And I, in my mm-hmm. suffering, I'm very sad a lot of the time that I don't want to, like, make it seem like if you're sad, like, you're not a good Christian or, you know, God's not with you. That's not our intent in this at all. I want to make that known, you know, at the end. Hopefully yeah. you've made it through through this podcast to hear that right now, but um, just want to throw that out there. I've barely made it through to hear that right yeah. now. I, I was playing Pac-Man on my computer the whole time. So. <laughs> I thought that's what you were doing. That's a good word, man. Yeah, like it's okay to be sad. Yeah. Like what you're saying when you're in your prayer life, like the Psalms, for example, yeah. which has historically been the church's prayer book, they have all sorts of goofy stuff in there that you're like, is that supposed to be in the Bible? Like they're saying some off the wall stuff. Like one Psalm that they call the imprecatory Psalms. Um, one of the Psalms is the Psalm writer saying, literally, I wish that my enemies' infants were dashed against the rocks. Like I want to slam their babies against hard objects. That's what he's saying. <laughs> I don't know why I'm just like you paraphrased that. It was just like, I know I had to. That's like but, you got to tell yeah. it slant. Yeah. Uh, I get. I I would get mad in in recent, very recently, like thinking of the Psalms and how like they all end and like like they're like angry, but then they end in like a a hope or a declaration of praise. And I'm like, I don't have that. Yeah. Like right now, I just like want the like sadness part. Like I don't have that declaration of hope. But I think we need that declaration of hope. Otherwise, we wouldn't have like we wouldn't have anything to look forward to. Like we wouldn't have any examples to look at. Yeah. The good news though is Jesus, Jesus is your mediator. He brings to God the declaration of hope, right? Like that's the thing is that if you're suffering right now and you're very sad, you need to understand that it is Jesus that pleads like Romans eight. Romans eight is such a great chapter because it says that the Holy spirit groans on your behalf, taking your concerns and your cares and your, all of your heart ache, and longing, the Holy Spirit takes that to God through Christ. So it's very important that we understand Jesus as mediator because Jesus, his work on the cross, and then now, um, right now, is pleading to God the Father and saying, Ben, I love Ben. I'm like, man, like this guy's going through a hard time. And you and you and Jesus have solidarity and brotherhood in that because he also had a hard time. Mm-hmm. And so he can sympathize with our needs and the Holy Spirit brings your, your suffering and requests to God. And so even if you can't, you know, like this is the, this is, I think where the money's at for me. Like even when I'm depressed and have no motivation to get into the word, like I should or whatever, like get into the daily Devo. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh, shoot. I didn't read Paul Tripp's new morning mercies this morning. Sinner. Sinner. And I need to be reminded in that moment that Jesus is bringing my suffering to God. He's, he's on my behalf declaring the hope. Even when I don't have the strength to say, yes, God. That it's not the other way around. That like when I don't feel that, ang- that, that desire, like, like I don't want to open my Bible right now. It's not the other way around of like, 
God or Jesus is pulling down the anger of God onto me. That's right. That's causing me not to do this. That's right. He took that. That yeah. that's the thing is that he took the yeah. anger of God away from you in his suffering. So now no longer do you have to get into the Bible when you're sad out of a sense of guilt. Oh yeah. shoot. I don't feel good and I haven't read the Bible in a while, which makes you feel even worse because you need to you feel like you need to like do something before God to earn your favor, to earn favor. And this is again, this is why we're hammering the faith thing. At least in my mind, as a pastor, I, I like I think through folks that are wrestling with like sadness or hardship or like illness, and they're like, "Well, if I don't have enough faith, then God's not going to deliver me from this sadness," which makes them more sad mm-hmm. because their sadness is like they're not motivated to do what they're supposed to do. Quotations. Yeah, and I think like that's a awesome thing about. And such a weird thing. Like if I were to hear this in my suffering and someone tell me this, I would want to smack them in the face. But like the awesome thing about a suffering season or wilderness season is like it creates that like it rids you of that like need or not need that uh like you feel like you have to, you know, read the Bible in the morning. It's just like, well, I'm checking the box like I'm so much more it, like and it creates a want. Like I, I was I think I remember telling you about this two weeks ago. I'm looking through my my journal right now and uh you guys say it like that. Um, <laughs> Everyone listening, it's okay to journal. <laughs> it is very okay to journal. I journal all the time. Yes. Um, but I was, I was relating this and I was like, I didn't, it was a day, it was a really hard Monday. And I didn't read, like, didn't wake up and read. Like, and I just kind of wanted to sit in my guilt and in my, my, my fear and in my, my pain. And at the end of the day, I wrote in my journal, at the end of the day, I'm still in pain. I'm still worried, but I'm actually upset I didn't spend time with God. Not because I didn't feel like I have to, but because the time spent with him has been so sweet and nourishing lately that I, he is my hiding place. He is my safe place. That I was actually mad because I skipped that time with him. Mm-hmm. That I needed that because mm-hmm. I knew like in the days prior what that had done for me. Mm. And like created this like guilt, not that like, oh, I didn't do it. Like God's mad at me. It's because like I needed that time with him and I didn't do it. So you're the, I think what you're describing is there's a difference between guilt and conviction. Yeah. Cause guilt is associated with shame. Conviction is like knowing what you're supposed to do and wanting to do that. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> that's interesting. It is. It's just interesting. Like, I don't know, like, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Put it that way. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. But that's the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus has taken that burden from you. Mm-hmm. So now, um, now getting into the Bible is a labor to rest in the work that's already been done. So your uh, suffering, your task is to have the faith to see, not to have the faith to deliver. Right, yeah. God has already delivered you. Yeah, your faith is is like I want to see this clearer. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yep. So, why don't we end there? Um, so I don't I don't know if you're if you're in Clinton listening to this, if you're part of Hope City Church or not. Uh, thanks for listening to Ben and I talk about suffering. So this has been a, a very chipper, uplifting conversation. Yeah. <laughs> At least we made a Casey's and Culver's joke. Yeah. Uh, but whether, yeah, whether you're here or elsewhere, we just hope that this conversation has served to help you live 
to the glory of Jesus and for the joy of your local community.